We're going to start a summer series. Uh, there will be some pattern to these. They all are grouped together as, as parables of the kingdom, but they're not necessarily in a certain order. However, having said that, this first one is basic to all of the parables. As we will see, this first one contains the key to understanding all of the parables. Matthew 13, 1 to 23, hear the word of the Lord. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they cannot, can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another 30. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the questions I and apparently many others have been wrestling with over these past years is this. Why are so few people in the United States responding to the gospel message. I think that's evident. You can read this in, in secular news. You can read it in, in Christian news. It's, it's, it's become evident that there is, is not a big response to the gospel in the United States uh, among new people. 
It could simply be, and I think about this as a pastor, maybe we're just not doing a good job of getting the gospel message out there. And yet, if it's across the board, it seems that maybe it's not just our poor performance, but there's something going on here. It seems to be a widespread phenomenon. There's one estimate, one group that dedicates itself to, to seeing these trends, says that, that Christianity is growing at a very small pace in the United States of 0.8%, which compares to around the world, they calculate at 2.6%. And so even uh, the, the relatively slow growth around the world, 2.6%, we're way below that at 0.8%. But this question that I'm asking and other, other people are asking is not a new question. Uh, it's actually a question that goes back to the very beginning of the preaching of the gospel. And it was a, a very acute question in the time of Jesus. If, if Jesus really is the, the promised Messiah, why did not all or most of the Jews respond in faith to him immediately? They, after all, had been waiting for him for century after century after century. Why did it seem like a small percentage was responding in faith to the gospel? Well, in partial answer to this question, and we see how this fits into Matthew, he's been preaching and we're getting towards the middle part of Matthew, he's been preaching for a while and the response has been underwhelming at this point. And so he tells this parable. And this is partial response to that vexing question about why do some people respond and why do so few respond? And in Matthew, in particular, these parables tend to be grouped together. There is a section here in Matthew chapter 13, and then later in the summer we'll be looking at some towards the end, Matthew chapter 20, but they're grouped together here. And they're called parables of the kingdom parables of the kingdom, and we'll be over the summer learning more and more about what this kingdom is about and what it calls to us to do. So we have this parable, the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower. This is probably familiar to many of you. Uh, it's one of Jesus' most famous parables. And what we have here as we start this, this section of parables, we have that Jesus went out to the lake, probably the Sea of Galilee, and great crowds were gathered to him. And so what did he do? He got into a boat, and he sat down in the boat, which was a typical thing for teachers to do. The teacher sat down, and the people would stand, the opposite of how we do it today, and he began to teach them. But it's interesting that there was a division between Jesus and the people. He was in the boat, they were on the shore, and this sets up spatially what's going to happen here. There is going to be a division here. It looks like the people are on the shore, Jesus is in the boat, and it looks like the disciples are with Jesus in the boat. It doesn't say that, but it looks like it because he's able to turn to them and have private conversations with them, which immediately sets up an us-them sort of situation. There are those in the boat with Jesus, and there are those on the shore, and we'll see how this first parable distinguishes among the hearers, but even the setting prepares us for that. Now, this is the first time that the word parable is used in Matthew, but it's not the first parable that Jesus has told. You can go back and find that he told parables, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7, but it's the first time the word shows up, and it says in verse 3, and he told them many things in parables. Now, it's, uh, it's kind of difficult to define a parable. 
And I don't know how many dissertations have been written about and books have been written about what exactly is a parable. Um, but it, it does have this thing in common. Some of them are very long, like this one, and they're very involved, and they have many elements. Others are just real short one-liners, and we'll be looking at some of the one-liners this summer, and we'll be looking at some of the bigger ones as well. So it's not a question of size, but what they all have in common is this. They are stories whose meaning does not lie on the surface. The meaning does not lie on the surface. Uh, and so they require something more. There's something missing in them. There's the key that's not there. Uh, they require something of the hearers in order for the hearers to understand them. And so that's, that's a way we could define parable. It's a story whose meaning is not on the surface and therefore requires something more in order to understand them. Now this parable is a, is a fairly involved parable and it has these four elements. It has a sower of seed. The sower goes out to sow in verses 3 to 8. That's how it starts. A sower went out to sow. And then he, he spreads seed. And uh, we have the seed that's, that's falling in different places. And then we have four types of soil. We have the, the soil that's along the pathway. It's hard. We have shallow soil. Uh, we have rocky, or, or rather, that's the second one, rocky, shallow soil. And then the third soil is soil that already is occupied with, with thorns. And then the fourth soil, there's, there's a distinction among the, the fourth soil. It's good soil. But even there, it's different levels of goodness to the soil. And so we have a sower of the seed. We have the seed. We have four types of soil. And then we have six results. So there are six results, there are three results that are negative, and there are three results that are positive. And so what do we have here? The soils are the hard soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And the six results, what are the six results? Well, the seed in the first case is eaten up. It disappears, it produces absolutely nothing. The second case, it's seed that grows up quickly, but it's scorched. It doesn't have roots, and so it withers. So we have eaten up seed, we have withered seed, and then the third case, we have choked seed. So the seed produces, but there are all these thorns and weeds, and they grow up as well, and they choke out that, that plant, and so it doesn't produce either. So those first three have in common that they do not produce any fruit. And then we have the other three uh, outcomes, the, the good soil, but three different levels of good soil, and th those three outcomes are kind of uh, best, better, and good. And it starts with best, a hundredfold, then it goes to better, 60-fold, and then it goes to good, 30-fold. Uh, and so that's, that's the parable. Now, at the end of that parable, at the end of the parable, Jesus says this, kind of enigmatically in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. And once again, we see a division here. So we've seen a division in the parable. It's dividing it into four or six categories. And now we have a division here. He says, he who has ears to hear, I'm speaking to some of you, not all of you. There's a division here. Let that person hear. Now, this is fascinating. Uh, he commands those who have ears to hear. And this does kind of two opposite things at the same time. And we will see this dynamic in the parables two opposite things at the same time. On the one hand, it makes the hearers responsible. It says, hear. It's a command to hear. 
But on the other hand, it sort of makes them not responsible because it says, if you have ears, then hear. If you don't have ears, well, guess what? You can't hear. And so it's very enigmatic here. It, it, on the one hand, it takes the responsibility off them. If they don't have ears, well, that's not their fault. Uh, but then there's the command that you ought to hear. And he's not trying to preach in vain. He's preaching for a reason here. He wants them to hear. And so we need to understand something here. This was the end of the lesson for the crowd. That was all they got. And I think we miss that sometimes. That's all they got. One time I was preaching on parables, maybe this parable. And I, I simply started the sermon. I got up and I started the sermon by telling some of Aesop's fables. And I, I just told two or three of Aesop's fables. And then I said to the congregation, please stand for the benediction. And I let him stand. It was very awkward, very uncomfortable. But I let him stand and they're looking like, is our pastor okay? This is really weird. We don't know what's going on here. And then I said, now have a seat. And then I asked them, how do you feel? They're like, we're really confused. What's going on here? That was the point. Remember, that's all they got. They didn't get the Gospel of Matthew. It hadn't been written yet. And so all they got was this story about a sower and seeds and soil and six different outcomes with the enigmatic Conclusion, he who has ears to hear, let him hear by. And then he turns to his disciples. Now the disciples had the advantage, apparently, of being there in the boat. And so the rest of this text today, we're on the inside. We get some info that the crowds didn't have. And we get two questions answered here. The first question is this, and they ask it specifically. Why are you using parables? Apparently, they didn't think it was very effective. Why are you using parables? And the second question is, what does this parable mean? They don't ask that specifically, but Jesus answers it. So now we get the two answers. The first, the purpose of the parables. Verse 10, they ask the question, why do you speak to them in parables? And here we have Jesus' answer. And Jesus' answer, first of all, he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them, it has not been given. Now, there's some interesting phrases there. Um, there is the phrase kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. And what's the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's the expression that we find usually in Matthew. And remember, Matthew was uh, a, uh, a gospel a relation of Jesus' life and death and so on uh, that was oriented toward Jews. And Jews tend to be very careful about using the name or titles of God. And so instead of, of saying the kingdom of God, it says the kingdom of heaven in order to avoid using the title, the, the name God. And so uh, it is the kingdom of heaven. In the other gospels, it's kingdom of God. Here it's kingdom of heaven. But when we hear of kingdom, we often think of a place. And uh, that's not necessarily wrong eventually, but it's, it's actually more an activity. So the kingdom of heaven is the rule of God. It is the reign of God. It is the authority of God exercised over his, his realm, if you will. And then that's one expression. The other expression is a passive verb. It says here, to you it has been given, to them it has not been given. 
And we find these, these passive verbs, oftentimes in Scripture, and we call them divine passives because it's, it's referring to somebody who's giving and not giving, but it doesn't name who it is. But by not naming him, it's naming him. Who is the one who's able to give the secret of his kingdom? Who is the one who is able to withhold the secret of his kingdom? Well, it is the king. And so these are divine passives. To you, to, to say it bluntly, God has given, or to say it directly, God has given you the secrets of his kingdom. And to those, God has not given the secrets of his kingdom. And it gets worse from there. This, this imbalance gets worse in verse 12. It says, to the one who has been given, the one who has, more will be given. More will be given, another divine passive. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, this is getting more and more imbalanced here, isn't it? So it's, to you it's been given, and if it's been given to you, you'll get even more. The rich in understanding will get richer, and the poor in understanding will get poorer. They didn't have anything to start with, and they'll lose even what they had. And then he said, this is why I speak in parables. Now, let's try to follow his, his reasoning here. He says, this is why I speak in parables. And then he goes on to say that they will hear and not hear. They will not understand. They will see and not hear or not see. And then he quotes Isaiah, the, the Isaiah text that I read earlier in the service. And this was Isaiah's commission. And he talks uh, to Isaiah saying, this is how it's going to be in your ministry. You will indeed hear that is, the people will. The, the people will hear Isaiah preaching, but will never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they cannot, can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So what's he saying here? Jesus is quoting Isaiah to show that parables are, are designed to confirm people in their Ignorance, that's what they do. So it, it, it presents the truth to them, but in such a way that they cannot get it. But then he says, in contrast to the crowds, in verse 16, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So he says to his disciples, apparently they're in the boat with him, he's saying, but, but you have the advantage, you have the secrets of the kingdom that God has given to you, you have eyes to see, so you're blessed, you have ears to hear, so you are blessed. And then he says, not only that, chronologically, historically, you are in an amazing situation. Verse 17, for truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people, these were not people with their eyes closed, these were not People without ears to hear. These were not people that didn't know about the kingdom, but they just lived at a time in which it hadn't been revealed yet. And so you are in an amazingly advantageous position. He says, blessed are you because many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's saying to the disciples, you are the most most." Blessed people of all of history because you're living in this moment and God has given you the ability to hear the news about the kingdom, these parables of the kingdom. You have the secrets, you have the eyes, you have the ears, and, and even the prophets and the saints of old would be envious of, of your 
position today. That's what he says to them. That's his explanation of why he uses parables. And then he goes on and says, hear then the parable of the sower, verse 18. In other words, let me explain to you the parable of the sower, because you're the ones who can hear it, and you can understand it. And here, he talks about the seed, and he defines some elements here. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, there's the first element. So the word of the kingdom is the seed. The seed that's being scattered about is the word of the kingdom. And it's, it's being scattered about rather carelessly, isn't it? It's being thrown about everywhere. And it's falling in all sorts of places. And it, it falls in, in four different types of soil. So the seed along the path is the one who hears it, hears the, the word of the kingdom, doesn't understand it, and it just, it's gone. And, and there's actually a malevolent force here. It says the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So it, it doesn't penetrate, and there's another force that comes in, an evil force that says, okay, that's, I'm taking it away. It doesn't produce any effect. So that's a hard hearer, we could say. The second type of hearer, we could call a shallow hearer, and that's in verse 20. Hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Immediately. And, and looks like a, 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 an excellent response, and yet doesn't last long because then that person finds out that the word has some complications. If you really receive this word, that there will be some opposition, there will be some persecution, and immediately say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't count on this, and they're out. And they fall away immediately. And then the third type is a bit more promising. It's, it's the one that's, it's, it's, the, the soil is okay, but the soil has lots of other things in it. In verse 22, sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it it proves unfruitful. So this one is more promising, but it gets choked out. We could call this, what, a distracted hearer, a preoccupied hearer, a hearer that, that, that gets diverted into other things. And then we have the final one is the attentive hearer. As for the one that's sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So we have large, medium, or small uh, responses, uh, harvests to the word. Now, if we drop the, the parabolic language, if we drop the, the metaphor here, we can say that the first three groups are those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. But they end up not being believers. They end up not having faith. And um, even if they made some temporary initial response, and that response may have lasted for a while. In that third case, we don't know how long that, that plant grew up before it was choked out. And so what we have here are are one, the first group, never pretends to be Christian. The second group, for a little while, says, yes, I'm in, but then gets out very quickly. The third group maybe lasts a a little while longer or even a long while longer, but ends up not being a true believer. This is important to emphasize in our context because for the last, oh, couple hundred years, we have done evangelism in the West in such a way that we tend to 
we tend to count as in, as genuine believers, anyone who makes any sort of initial positive response to the gospel. And you've heard this. So-and-so had a, a campaign in such-and-such such a place, and 1,500 people came to Jesus. And then we say, 1,500 people are in the kingdom. They are saved. They are, they are Christians. And then if you were to follow those 1,500 people and, and, and follow them up, you would probably find that a number of them didn't last the week or the month or the year, never got connected, never continued to show attention to the word. Some of them might have lasted longer, and some of them, of course, thanks be to God, uh, are in that fourth category. But we need to be careful about how we, we count, because here it's saying that there are those who respond but, but never produce fruit. And by the way, that is the test. The test is not what uh, one says immediately or even for a little while. The test is the fruitfulness of one's life. That's the test of whether one is a Christian or not. It's tragic, and it is actually harmful and cruel on our part as Christians to pronounce people Christians when there is no fruit in their lives because we are giving them a false hope. And so we need to take this very seriously if we are Christians and involved in the work of evangelization as we ought to be. The test is fruitfulness. However, in this, in this parable, fruitfulness is not defined. Other aspects are defined, but fruitfulness is not defined. And it doesn't need to be because in the Gospel of Matthew, there was another sermon that was preached the Sermon on the Mount, and in that sermon, fruitfulness is defined. And if we go back to the end of that sermon in Matthew 7, end of that sermon in Matthew 7, and we look at, let's say, verses 19 and following, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. This is, this is a parable. It's not called a parable, but here is parable language. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by, your, by their fruit. And then notice 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There we have the definition and the picture of fruitfulness. And so this, this language uh, of, of fruitfulness is the test in this parable of the sower or the soils. And this is really a challenge, not just in a context of, of what about those outside who are coming in, but those of us who have been believers Maybe for quite some time, this parable is very challenging to us because it talks about different levels of fruitfulness, even for those who hear and understand and believe and produce fruit. There are here three different levels of fruitfulness that are described. And the goal of the Christian life is not this. It is not how little fruit can I produce and still be in the kingdom. That's not the goal. Seed is to produce as much fruit as possible. The goal of the Christian life is to see how much fruit 
we can produce with that that we have received. And by the way, we of all people in all of history have more access to the word of God than any other people in all of history. We, we cannot say, well, we just didn't ever hear that. We didn't have access to that. We have, we have more seed that is, that is constantly being showered upon us than any other people in all of history. And so, we ought to be not in that 30 group. Better to be in the 60 group and even better to be in that 100-fold group. How much can the word of God produce in us? You see, it depends on our response to the word, how fruitful we will be. Now, you may be wondering how the secret can be unlocked here. Because this seems very, very unfair, doesn't it? And very odd to preach sermons to a crowd that don't have any way to get it. Why would you bother doing that? Unless there is some possibility of, of unlocking the secret and getting that secret and hearing and, and understanding and producing fruit. So what is, what is the secret that can unlock this parable? And by the way, if we unlock this parable, we've unlocked all the parables. Why? Because this parable is a parable about parables. This is, this is a fascinating parable. It functions at different levels. It's a parable about parables. So if we can get the parable about parables, then we can get all the parables. And there's a clue here in this parable. And the clue is this. Which is the one major element that is not described in the explanation? The seeds are described. The, the soils are described. The fruit is described in an earlier sermon. But which is the one major element that is not described here? The sower. The sower. The sower is not Described. So if we can find out who that sower represents, then maybe we can figure out this parable. And if we can figure out this parable, we can figure out all the parables. Now to us, who have the Gospel of Matthew, it's obvious. We all want to raise our hand and say, it's Jesus. He's the parable. He's the sower in this parable. But that wasn't obvious to them. But there was a huge clue left right there in front of them. And we can even imagine Jesus, as he's preaching this parable. Now, I'm using my imagination here. This is not in the text. But we can imagine Jesus saying, the sower went out to sow. Giving them clues that what he was doing in that moment was exactly what the sower was doing in the parable. And if we can get that piece of information figured out, then we have the key, the secret to understand all the parables. This fact softens the exclusive nature of the parables because in the description, it's just, well, this confirms them in their ignorance. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. Too bad. Even what they have is going to be taken away from them. That, that, that's at first how it sounds. But then we stop and think, well, then why bother preaching parables at all? 
Why address the crowd at all? If the only purpose were to confirm them in their ignorance, there must be another purpose. And this idea of the secret of the kingdom and that that secret of the kingdom is Jesus, that softens that, that hard edge of the exclusivity of the parable. On the one hand, the parables do confirm people in their ignorance, but on the other hand, they're thrown out to everyone. Do you see how recklessly, do you see how liberally, do you see how abundantly the parable is being thrown out to the whole crowd? It's being given to everyone as an invitation to find out, to find out who is the key to the parable, who is that sower. And once we know who that is, we get it. And so if you can find out, if you haven't already, if you can hear that today, that these parables are about Jesus, that's the secret, folks. If you want to know what the parables are about, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is about, it's about Jesus. It's about him. He, he's the king. This was a stumbling block, these parables, but there were other stumbling blocks to come. Because then they'll find out that he's the king who doesn't conquer but is conquered, who doesn't kill but is killed, and then rises from the dead and conquers. That wasn't what they were expecting either, and that's why many stumbled. But if you can understand that this is what the kingdom's about and that this is what these parables are about, it's about Jesus who lived, who died, who who was raised from the dead, and who reigns over all things. That's how this, this, this gospel ends. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What's he do? Finally, in chapter 28, he says, I'm the king. I own it all. It's all mine. I rule and I reign and take this message to the ends of the earth. Then he finally drops the parables at the end. And he spells it all out for us. But we can know that now. If you can know who is this sower. Who's the one that brings the word to us. If you can know that this is about Jesus. This parable. Then you have the key to understand all the parables. That we're going to be looking at this summer. So that you can hear. You can understand. You can believe. And you can produce much fruit. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that we are in such an amazingly advantageous position, living in the time in which we do. We have an advantage over the prophets and the saints of old in the Old Testament. We have an advantage even over those who got to hear Jesus preach in the flesh because they didn't get the explanation. And here we have it written before us in our own language, Lord. And we, we pray that we would be, all of us, among those who have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and that we would not be those who produce little, but as, as your seed is constantly showered upon us, O oh God, may we be attentive to it. And Lord, we pray that we would be those who produce a hundredfold fruit from that which you have sown in us. And we pray also, O oh God, for those on the outside that that by your grace they wouldn't remain on the outside of God, but that through our efforts, as feeble as they might be, to get the word out to them, we pray that you would give them also eyes to see and ears to hear, so that they too might know the secret of the kingdom 
and enter into that kingdom through faith in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.